This is Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast, bringing you the latest practices in the world of fiber networks and plus architecture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we explore larger trends in telecommunications and fiber technology and more. Now, before we dig into the larger point of conversation today, I want to make sure that you're getting all the 3GIS content you need, which mostly includes episodes of our show, but also great research articles and videos from our team. So make sure that you're heading to our website for all of that great content. You can find all that and more at 3-GIS.com. Again, 3-GIS.com. And you can also subscribe to Fiberside Chat on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new ones. So today's point of discussion is all around geospatial data. Now, our industry audience is going to be very well aware of how critical geospatial data is to mitigating risks, developing new networks, and ensuring high-quality performance in the broader telecommunications industry. And with more complex 5G networks actively being built out, the need for accurate geospatial data is only increasing. And said robust spatial data is also influencing business models and operations day-to-day for telecom players. But really the core question we want to ask today is, even with this major emphasis on geospatial data and with it being such a priority and a critical need, why hasn't geospatial data and its quality in telecom materially improved in the last 30 years? Why are telecom players still more or less dealing with the same quality of data? Does it have to do with the way it's being captured, the way it's being analyzed, what is being captured in the first place? We're going to dig in and really give you that perspective and not just lay out the problem, but also offer you some solutions and strategies for improving the quality of your geospatial data for the future of the industry. So let's go ahead and introduce our two guests today who can definitely speak to this better than I can. Mr. Tom Counts, EVP of 3GIS and Mr. Peter Batty, Chief Research Officer of SSP Innovations. Tom, great to have you on. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I always enjoy this. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure getting to pull from your perspective. And Peter, great to have you on as well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. And uh, thanks for having me on my first one of these. So looking forward to it. Fantastic. We have a first timer and a returning guest. And we've got some great rapport between y'all as guests, which I want to highlight real quick. Uh, You know, your corporations have uh, recently uh, merged together. And now between the two of y'all as experts, we're pulling from 60 years of experience in the telecom industry. So, you know, that's why I prefaced, you know, if we've got two guests to talk on this subject, it's going to be y'all. So I'll stop by pontificating and let y'all carry the conversation forward here. But could we start with some brief bios from the two of you? Uh, connect the dots with how your storied expertise in this industry informs our discussion today, right? What touch points have you had as you break down your career with geospatial data? Oh, boy. This is Tom, um, and that that does reach way back. Um, I got involved in this industry back in 1988. Um, I worked with a company called Intergraph Corporation, and I was exposed to a product called MicroStation. And MicroStation was connected to, to Oracle, and together they created a product called Frame, um, which was really one of the very first, what I would call, 
asset management using a map uh, systems in the market. Um, and I mean, it was really, it was really quite capable for the for the time it was released. I mean, this was 1988, long time ago, and they had that was they had a back office product called Frame and a and a mobile tool called FieldView. And even then, we were interested in getting the data from the edge, getting data from the field. But, but from Intergraph, I went on and I had experience with GTE and Vision, uh, a small world where, where Peter worked at the time. And they were really leading the what I considered the, the visionary industry with spatial data management and the way they were able to store data as, as features in the database. And it was really exciting to see what I consider the integration of the data into the GIS for the first time with what Small World did. I went on to form a company called Mesa Solutions. I uh, did that in 96. Um, it was the first Esri system built uh, managing telecommunications. At the same time, Miner Miner was doing something similar, doing electric and gas. And we developed another field tool called Field Assistant. Again, trying to get data from the edge into the to the main GIS. And it, it had its moderate success, and and I stayed with that company for 10 years, sold it to Bell Labs. It became Telcordia Technologies. Now it's Ericsson, network engineer, for those of you that have heard of that product. But then I formed 3GIS in 2006, and I'm still here. Uh, I, I sold it to SSP a year ago, almost to the day. Um, and we developed the first cloud-based Esri founded GIS fully integrated product with mobile. Again, making sure we could talk to the edge of the network, making sure we were getting data in from, from, from in from the outside. And, and that was kind of what we considered really important in managing the, the geospatial data is creating, even back from Intergraph, and that's where I, I guess I, I was taught this lesson, if you want to get data into a GIS and manage it correctly, so you so you can have current, correct, and accurate data, you want to get it from the field. You don't want it to go through too many iterations before it's posted into the main database. And um, that's kind of my background to get me to where I am today to talk further about data. So I, I won't belabor that point much much further. We'll get more into it. But um, let me hand it over to Peter to give you a little bit of his his background at the same time. Yeah, thanks, Tom. And uh, I don't think we'd actually discussed the date that we both started in this industry, but uh, I started in 86, so I beat you slightly uh, uh, with IBM, uh, who, who were quite a big player in those days in sort of GIS for utilities and telecoms. Uh, and then over the years, I've been through a number of different companies. I, I was CTO at Small World, as, as Tom mentioned, had a, a little spell as, uh, for a couple of years as CTO at Intergraph. Um, and then most recently, I was CTO at IQGO, where uh, I built a new platform uh, that was particularly focused on sort of web and mobile aspects of geospatial. But on the mobile side in particular, there was quite a lot of focus on, uh, as Tom talked about, data on the edge and, and capturing data. Uh, but in my role as sort of a serial CTO in the industry, I guess I've always been looking at new technologies. Um, and as we'll get into talking about today, I feel there are some very game-changing technologies that really are going to have a big impact on, on how we capture data. And I moved to SSP in April of this year to really to work on that after looking around at where I should pursue this, uh, some of the ideas that you know I feel will be the next big change. So... 
So that's kind of my background. I, I've been in the geospatial industry uh, my whole career, really. Uh, and I guess that makes it more or less 70 combined years of experience between us, actually. Um, but I've always been sort of trying to look at the broader technology industry and how we can apply ideas from there in, in the geospatial industry and in telecoms and utilities on the other side of the SSP business as well. All right, y'all. Well, thank you for that context. Now let's go ahead and tap into that uh, reserve of knowledge here by posing that big question again. Geospatial data is critical to the industry, but we seem to have to ask, why hasn't geospatial data quality in telecom materially improved in the last 30 years? Maybe before we actually just pontificate and answer that, let's get a little more granular on why we even want to pose this question in the first place. And to do that, answer this for me. Why is data quality so significant in the telecom industry in the first place, right? Where does said data actually have critical touch points in day-to-day -day and larger business model um, strategies for the industry? Give us your breakdown. Well, well, I would say the GIS asset data is your your center data of truth. And if 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 you don't know the truth, you're in trouble. Um, if if you want to run a business and you don't understand your assets, you don't understand that that they're that they're accurate. It's hard for you to assign them. It's impossible for you to provision them. It's troublesome for you to try to repair them. And if you're going to expand them or extend them, as in what's happening in 5G, if you don't recognize, I mean, what kind of cables I have in the ground, what kind of handholds I've got placed in the in the ground, if if I don't understand my network, it's it's literally nightmarish. And let me tell you, the nightmare exists. It, it's nightmarish to try to grow it. And so if you want to if you want to grow it, if you want to go with it, if you want to repair it, and if you want to, I mean, if you even want to use it just simply for continuing CPR, continuing property records, which is really depreciation. If I want to depreciate my assets, I really need to have an accurate view of what's out there in the field. If I don't have that accurate view, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, and I think just to, to add a couple of things that agree with everything Tom said, you know, I think it's very fundamental both to network reliability and customer service. If you don't have good underlying data on the physical assets, you, you really struggle with both of those. And then I think a, a theme here a lot of people in, in telecom talking about is the idea of digital transformation of the business. Uh, and I think these days that there's a lot of sort of built up knowledge in people's heads where processes are reviewed or they, you know, before you do a design or whatever, someone has to go and inspect it in the field. In order to transform a lot of processes, you really uh, inherently need this good digital uh, model representing your physical network in particular, which is what the, uh, the GIS data gives you. You know, a lot of people talk about the idea of a digital twin in that context of digital transformation. So, so I think it's very fundamental to a lot of these bigger business transformations people are trying to do. Yeah, I love the concept of a digital twin. I, uh, We've always thought about it. We've always wanted to achieve it. But we see so many, so many carriers that still have what I call really antiquated processes to manage their data flow. When, when I know our technology can far exceed those processes, but processes become ingrained. They become... They, they become really your genetic code of, of operating a business and it's hard to change those processes. And that was, that's one thing I would campaign for as hard as I can today, 
going back from having field view at Intergraph to field assistant and network engineer to field express and now 3GS mobile today, every one of those tools could add massive value to the GIS if it's used to its, to its capacity, but so many don't. Um, and I know I'm going to sound like I'm going to sit here and bitch and moan and complain. And that's not really what my point is. My point is to say that we're giving people a really, a machine gun and sometimes they act, use it for a hammer, right? And, and it's, it's completely improperly used on many occasions. And if, if you took 3GS mobile today and use it to its capacity, the data accuracy and the data delay, what I call the, 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 the soak of data that you often have and what's what people call posting backlog um, could literally go away. Um, doesn't mean the data is going to be perfect, but it means, it means the data is going to be closer to accurate. The accurate, they say uh, error is a function of time. The longer something takes to get from point A to point B, the more likely it is to have an error in it. And the quicker you can get that data from the edge to the to the database, the less likely chance that it's going to have to be corrupted or misunderstood or misrepresented. Um, and I can talk about that later or some more, but it, it's really about trusting your tools and training for them. As a follow-up here then, you know, what do companies really have to gain and lose when uh, considering the quality of their data, right? When their geospatial data quality is poor, what do they have to lose? And when their geospatial data is really top-notch and robust, what do they have to gain? Right? What's that cost-benefit analysis here? Mm, it's good decisions, bad decisions. I mean, they, they all want to make decisions based on good data. If you've got bad data, you're still going to have to make decisions to move the business. But while you're making decisions on the best information you've got, you're making data, you're making decisions on bad information. Um, so you, you, you find a conundrum, you know, at, 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 at the end of the day, you find a conundrum of pay me now or pay me later. And, that, and I don't mean me. I mean, it's, it's, it's really the process of time. Do you, do you want to invest in your employees and the processes to get the data in as quickly as possible and accurately as possible? Or do you want to create this protective, what I call it, spanking machine, where the data comes in, it has to be reviewed, it has to be blessed, it gets redrafted, it gets reviewed again, and then it gets posted. You know, when all of those processes take place today, which is, I'm telling you, 90% of carriers still do it the way I just described, your data, the, the, the data sinks. It, it, it sits there and it gets old. And while that data is waiting to get posted, more decisions are being made in the field on top of the existing old data. So you have old data decisions being built on old data that are, that are layered on top of even older data that, to make more decisions. And you get a stack up and backlog of, of posting of the work orders to get accurate data re results and reviews. And, and I don't know if I'm being clear or not or confusing. I hope I'm not being confusing. But what I'm really talking about is the ability to take data from the field and immediately put it into the data model. Um, so the argument, let me, let me go back and say uh, the argument I've heard is, well, many of our users aren't that comfortable with the mobile, mobile devices. So they're, they, they just put data in and they try to get through it quickly. Or we don't absolutely trust the people out in the field to, to, to gather the data correctly. So we wanted to go through all these cycles of review to get it right. Fair enough. That was probably a great argument 15 years ago when the average person using a mobile tool, it was a foreign device to them. 
the average person using a mobile tool today was born with a mobile tool is comfortable with a mobile tool and has never known life without a mobile tool. So given that, understanding who your field people are actually using that device, trust them. Train them on how to inspect, recognize, and post that data in, in the field and trust for it to come in and only look for what I call irregularities, things that the long pole in the wood pile, things that don't look right, things that poke out because 95% of the time or better, that data is gonna be accurate, perfect, and correct. And when you trust that data and let it go into the database, your data is moving so fast, you can provision it, you can activate it, you can build it, you construct it, you can repair it, you can do all the things you need to do to that data without it going through multiple layers and processes of, uh, of, of bureaucracy. Um, and, and so, you know, trust the edge. Trust the people on the edge because they're capable of doing it today. And when you do that, your data is going to be spot on and you, you will have a much more efficient running business. And that's using old technology. That's not even that's not even using the, the stuff that's right around the corner um, with 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 what's coming with what's coming next. It's going to be transformational and even expediting that even further. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and just give a couple of examples. You know, you asked about. Uh, what what are consequences of good and bad data? You know, I, I mentioned network reliability and customer service being a couple of high level things, but just to drill into those a little bit, you know, if there's uh, some damage to the network, you know, somebody digs through a fiber or crashes into a pole or whatever, um, having high quality geospatial data is fundamental to being able to quickly diagnose where the problem is and how to fix it versus going into the field and trying to hunt around because you don't really know uh, what's been damaged or exactly what's where. And then on the customer service side, for example, if a business calls in and says, what does it take to run fiber into my building? A lot of companies today take weeks uh, even to answer that question. They have to go off and uh, do, do research and so on. If, the data, if you know the data quality is good and the sort of uh, customer service representative can just look that up and immediately give an answer, you know, that's critical to winning more business. Um, so, you know, impact sales as, as well as customer service. So, I, I, and there's lots more examples, but, you know, those are just a couple where uh, geospatial data is really key to those kind of business processes. And when Peter says do, do, we have to do research, he really says they have to roll a truck. They have to go out there and find out what the heck's out there. And, and so research, you can call it research, really is going to figure out what I got. Um, you know, the old, the old, um, the old saying was your data is right one time it's perfect one time and that's when you do an audit and then it just degrades completely after that um, I completely so disagree with that entire concept I think if, if, if you put in the right if you put in the right process you put in the right right tools your data should only improve over time it shouldn't degrade over time um, and, and honestly, I've seen it. I've seen the de degradation over time. I've seen, I've seen companies that have installed brand new systems five years later. It's a mess. That's because they didn't trust the data coming in and they allowed the backlog to, to create and they just, just lost ground. And, and we can do better than that. And we know how to do better than that. And, and we're going to do better than that. So then let's answer the core question in general. Why have we not seen geospatial data quality on average improve significantly in the last 30 years? What have been, uh, you know, the major hiccups or the, um, from a historical perspective, what have been the things that have stifled efforts around improving that quality? 
give us your perspective. You're not going to like it, but I call it trust. It's 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 you've got to trust the people in the field. And and if if you feel like I, I can't trust the data coming in from the field, why have them collected anyway? Well, why why even waste that time? So if you're if you're going to do that, if you're going to have people in the field using your mobile tools, train them, trust them, and 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 use that data. Um, don't create so many processes to distrust them. Um, I mean, I think I, I said it before. It's we have a community of field technicians today that are that that natively grew up with mobile tools. It's not like it was when I was coming through the industry, even 10 years ago, where mobile tools were still a little foreign and you were looking for simple keys and big buttons, you know, it's not the case anymore. People are used to complex, e even though our system is not complex, they're used to dealing with things like Waze and, and, and so many other uh, uh, mobile features that you have on your phone today that it's, we should use them, trust them, listen to the edge, let that data go into the database. Um, there's the, the, like I said, there's new technology around the corner that's going to make that even better. But just today, the tools we've got today can, can, can solve that entire problem, Daniel. And, um, it's, it's criminal when, when, when people don't trust it. And that's, that's really what it boils down to. And it's, uh, you can lead a horse to water, right? This is the old phrase. You can lead a horse to water. I can't make him drink. And I'm encouraging everyone to allow those <laughs> allow those horses to drink. Yeah, just to expand on what Tom's saying a bit and maybe uh, yeah, elaborate on a couple of things. You know, I think um, to me a, a key issue, and we maybe haven't explicitly said this, but probably most people on the call, uh, listening to the call, understand it. But a key challenge is that today, whenever something changes in the network, when you go and build something or change something, in most cases, the typical process is that someone other than the person who built that comes along to record it at some point later. And that leads to this sort of as-built update backlog um, or posting backlog, uh, Tom called it, uh, where, where there's quite a significant delay between something changing in the field and it getting back into the GIS and just it's fundamental that if you have a different person from the person who built the thing come to record it, then it's just manually intensive, it's costly, and there's a built-in lag, you know, even if you throw lots of people at that. So so really the, the transformation that uh, Tom is getting at is that you do need to have tools that are simple enough for the field people to use. And, and as he said, I think there are tools available today where 3GIS have good tools that will let you do that. Um, but, you know, in some cases there, there has been resistance from field people, uh, you know, especially older ones who are technology resistant. But in other cases, it's been the sort of management don't commit to that or, or as Tom said, they don't put the trust in, in their field workers because um, they think they're not skilled enough or, you know, there's a bit of a mentality you need to have special GIS training to capture data and so on, which with the right tools I, I don't think is the case. Um, and just one last point, I, I think to me that there's a really nice parallel with um, a system called OpenStreetMap. Um, I don't know if everyone's familiar with that, but a lot of people call it Wikipedia for maps. And it's a, an open system out there online where it, it's a map that anybody in the world can go and edit in the same way that you can go and edit an entry on Wikipedia. And when you first hear that as a traditional GIS person, you think, well, that's crazy. There's no validation. All of these people can edit it. How can that possibly be a good data source? But 
in practice, it's worked incredibly well. And that's because people who are motivated to edit it typically have an interest in that, you know, their local city or whatever they're updating on it. And that parallel, and, and even those those people are, you know, not specifically trained and don't have specific skills. And that's become one of the best kind of map databases in the world. And the same principle applies to, uh, you know, the the workforce in a telecom company that, those people in the field have a vested interest in having good data so they can, you know, find things in the future. And so if you give them the tools, then uh, it's really in their interest. And, you know, say that I think that's a proven example where you don't have to have very computer savvy technical people to, uh, to provide good quality data updates. That's a wonderful point, Peter, because I, I, I wish I thought of it because I, when, when you do think about when we used to sell our systems, we used to actually have partnerships with the the, the land-based people, we called it. And and we would sell, okay, let's, I'm selling to XYZ customer. They need maps for their area. It would cost a fortune to deliver the street maps for their area. It was a major component of, of, the, of the, the software piece. Today, it's nobody even thinks about it. It's free. Everybody uses open street maps. It's accurate. It's good. It's timely. It's, it's consistently improving day after day. And, and, and so look, I've got something that's happening much faster and in, I mean, orders of magnitude cheaper and the same thing should be happening for us. And, and we've seen it happen. That's a, that's a wonderful point. Yeah. A, a lot of people call it crowdsourcing, you know, this general idea that users of a system, uh, end users can update the data and, you know, it applies to all kinds of things, reviews of restaurants or whatever it might be. But in many ways, it's applying this idea of crowdsourcing to the telecom enterprise. Yeah. And Daniel, when somebody gets it wrong, somebody behind them gets it right. So somebody's always correcting it, right? So you, you don't have to have this big QA department because you've got all the other field technicians if one person gets it wrong, somebody else is going to come back and run across and go, oh, no, that's not right. And they're going to touch it up and fix it. But, you know, of course, you would hope that uh, over time, you know, with the right investments, those first getting it wrong scenarios are lessened and, and mitigated. Right. And so I'm curious what you've seen as the solutions to tackle this problem of plateauing or stagnating uh, geospatial data for telecom. and what has worked, what hasn't. I mean, I'm guessing most of it is strategies that haven't worked, right? So connect the dots there. What have been the approaches to improve this issue and where have they fallen short and why? Well, there's one I worked with in Canada. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, they actually paid their field technicians, I think it was a nickel a feature to, 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 to correct things as they're out there. And so they were, they were financially motivated to if okay, so I'm you know I'm 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 doing a new splice case. I'm 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 connect, collect, connecting it up. So they they do the data there. So that's in their work order and that's their job. But while they're there, if they see other points that are that are are gathered in their map that aren't correct or need need correcting, if they do that, they got five cents a feature, um, which doesn't sound like much until you start thinking about all the features in a telecom network, and then all it started being meaningful, and and from from them creating that kind of new thought process for their technicians, they saw a massive improvement in data quality. Um, but this was this was a decade ago, um, and and because again, mobile tools I think were still kind of new. 
Um, I mean, the the iPhone didn't even exist a decade ago, um, or maybe it just did. And that's interesting, Tom. I, I haven't heard people actually doing it that, but I, I've had several conversations about what what people call these days gamification. You know, that is yeah is a thing. Not so much. We haven't seen it so much in the telecom industry, but you know, just making tasks fun and competitive. And you know, even if you're not giving a nickel, you you give points and you have leaderboards for, you know, who's corrected the most data and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and again, actually, you know, OpenStreetMap has had elements of that. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing I like is looking at, at broader areas and saying, where can we take ideas? And I think there, there are possibilities there. I mean, you need to, you need to do it in the right way so that people aren't just, you know, artificially updating things that don't really need updating <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah. But, but, you know, if you think about it correctly, I, I think there, there are elements of that that, that can help. Um, but that may be a little bit of a tangent from the, the, the main efforts, but well, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it is a, a, an interesting aspect. When you've been around as long as we have, you're going to see all kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, so there was, there's, you know, talk about failures, Daniel. We had, and this is one that just kills me. We had a product we call Field Express Chameleon. We came out with in 2007, I guess it was. And it was the mobile tool to end all mobile tools. It was called Chameleon because its GUI could change based upon the job you were doing. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. This is going to, this is just, everybody's going to want this. We're going to sell it to absolutely any, anything that moves. And so if, if, if you wanted to do Homeland Security, if you wanted to do damage assessment, if you wanted to do, you know, field data collection, if you wanted to do, you know, crowdsourcing of, of streets, it could do all of those things. You just kind of did some configuration and the chameleon changed its skin to, to do that. Holy crap, what a failure. It did not sell. I mean, it sold. I mean, it, but it, it, it didn't do anything like I expected because people, people want a focus tool. I, I learned that the hard way. They want, they want a tool that's going to do field redlining. They want to do field data collection. They want to know it's going to do damage assessment. Um, to say it's all things to all people all the time anywhere means it's nothing to anyone. And, and as a product manager, that's really my core competency, I guess. That was one of the hardest lessons I took is you, you can't give someone a generic tool. Um, you, uh, even if it's generic based, you have to provide it for them to do the task. Um, and that was a surprise to me. I thought, I thought, I thought people would really want a, a much more of a, a Swiss Army knife in, in, in a mobile device, and they don't. Uh, they really don't. They want a tool that's optimized so they can do their job most efficiently. And uh, while Field Express Chameleon could be optimized to do it most efficiently, kept, you know, when you took it out of the box, it wasn't. It was a big, ugly Swiss Army knife that you had to configure and figure out. So that was, that was probably one of uh, one of my personal big, biggest lessons I had at 3GIS. And um, it 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 it. While I think it could have been great in, in field data collection, it became 3GIS Mobile. And we actually kind of simplified it, focused it, narrowed it way down. And um, today, even today, it could be a great tool to push data, accurate data quickly back to the, to the geospatial data. As long as you don't put too many uh, gates between the data and the database. All right, so I feel like we've gotten a good overview of the challenge here and some of the historical context. Let's bring it to today and really look at you know, where this 
critical issues at right now. What's the current status in data capture? Uh, and I'll you know I'll, uh, expand slightly, right? Including the challenge of data veracity, some of the lag and the cultural adoption of maybe state-of-the-art technologies, right? What are the current motivators that are creating fresh or uh, persisting issues around improving geospatial data quality? And uh, you know what's what's new? What should our audience keep in mind? So I want to lead with this, but I want to hand it to Peter pretty quickly. Um, we see a higher demand for mobile tools than we've ever seen in our history. Um, it used to always be, I want, uh, because connectivity is so good today, there is a natural proclivity to want it in my pocket. Um, well, want my data handy and quick and, and, and now that's all connected all the time. So I don't worry about, you know, uh, um, what I call, um, not spots and, and, Almost every RFP today I see, which is which is doesn't sound like it should be a new thing, but I got to be honest with you, it is. We really see a demand for mobile tools. We used to have to kind of press it, say, "Oh, don't you want mobile with that? You know, don't you want fries with that?" Um, but now they, we always see people saying, "Hey, I want my GIS and I want a mobile component," and that's kind of cool. And that's probably in the just the last five years we see people becoming truly mobile aware. Um, and, and 3GIS Mobile, I think, is checks all the what I call today's boxes of collecting the data and pushing it back. So it, it does a really good job, and it's focused on doing that. And, I mean, all, all of our competitors are kind of in the same spot. They've, they've all kind of found their way to the same kind of position. Um, but I, I think where, where Peter's taking us, which is why I've always respected Peter, even though we were competitors for so many years, um, I've always respected his his ability to see ahead. Um, and, and with what he's doing today for, for 3GIS and SSP, I think it's it's pretty exciting. So so I, I've kind of set you up there, Peter, but, um, but, but, but let the thunder roll. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, I mean... Um... You know, I think you asked about today, but I'm looking forward as well. And maybe we'll get into that a, a little more. But, um, you know, I, I do think today is just uh, things that are driving or, or the, the state of the art over the last number of years has been, you know, that there has been, if, we, if we're looking over that 30-year time frame, you know, today we've got smart devices, smartphones and tablets, which, as Tom said, had great communications. Also, touch screens are great for user interface, they've got built-in GPS, um, uh, they've got cameras. Uh, and so those are all great devices as a foundation for capture in the field. But but I think it's sort of indicative of a few things, but, you know, partly the, the industry being somewhat conservative in, in some areas, some, somewhat slower to change than we might like. But, you know, it's still not the case that, you know, if you were outside the telecom industry, you probably imagine that every field worker is using a smartphone or a tablet for all of these cool apps. And that's that's happening in some cases, but in many cases it isn't. So, you know, adoption has is somewhat slow. Um, but, uh, but I think for me, the exciting thing now is that there are several technologies coming along that are really going to dramatically change what we can do with those smart devices. And so, Maybe we'll go on and talk to those. I don't know if you want me to launch into those now or if, if you had other questions before before we do that. But uh, I can maybe talk a little bit about these new technologies that are going to make all of this data capture so much simpler and easier. My last point that I, I want to get y'all's thoughts on is, you know, as we, I guess, tee up the concept of some solutions that do work, 
what advice or perspective would you give on trying to continue to do things the old way, right? Uh, if we want to actually see operations become more efficient, scale, become more profitable, and become more accurate, we actually want to see the data that supports these decisions be improved. Uh, you know, why do we continue to see companies just double down on strategies that we've seen tried and tried again for years that don't really do much? And, you know, how should we rethink that approach? Well, it's habit. You know, at the end of the day, what you're talking about is habit. People got in the habit of always not trusting the edge. So see, break that habit, train your technicians, trust them to do their job, expect them to do, the, do their job, and they'll do it. I really do believe um, a lot of the concern in the processes are are unfounded today. They would have been founded a decade ago. Fine. That's not the case today. And I think, as, as, as Peter was alluding to, we've got so much better tools today. We used to have to walk around with a separate uh, GPS tool, a separate camera, and, and our phone, and try to get it all together. And sure, that's going to be error prone, and is, something's going to mess up. I'm going to miss a point. I'm going to take the wrong picture. I'm going to be at the wrong location. Not today. You've, you've got a you've got a phone that's got incredible GPS accuracy. You've got you know twenty megapixel phones. Um, uh, I mean twenty megapixel cameras in your phones. You have massive data capacity, and you've got five G connectivity to get the data right back to 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 data stores that are immediately can be connected to the OSS and the BSS. Um, to, to not take advantage of that is doing a disservice to your organization and to your shareholders. Um, so I, I, I believe, you know, the first thing to do, Daniel, is to is to is to trust the edge, let it go, let it go in and, and look for anomalies instead of assuming everything's an anomaly and hope for truth. Uh, I think everything is going to be true. And every now and then you'll have something that might be off. But the the at the end of the day, I think you're going to have you're going to have really good data coming in. Trust it and go on. Yeah, and and I'd reiterate, you know, that main point that Tom's been making that there is just a lot that you can do with today's tools if you make a commitment to doing more updates in the field and and trusting the workers out there. Um, but I, I think it's interesting sometimes when you're looking at making something that's quite a big change. It, the the people are a little wary of for whatever reason um you know if you're improving things by 20 percent or 50 percent or you know you're doubling the speed or halving the cost maybe that's not quite enough but then if it's 10 times better or a tenth of the cost it becomes so absolutely compelling that you can't ignore it and that's where i think we're going with this next iteration of these things where it's going to be just sort of impossible to ignore you know even though both tom and i are agreed with people should be leveraging today's tools much more than they are so you brought it up let's go ahead and jump into the solutions here to start to close out our conversation again i feel like we've uh, mapped out a good overview of the challenge of the plateauing um, quality of geospatial data for telecom so what ultimately needs to happen to combat this data quality issue. Uh, let's start with understanding what the breadth of solutions look like today. So what uh, strategies for success for improving that data quality are already here or are coming down uh, the pipeline you know, relatively soon? Uh, and how do you see both uh, the solutions available today as well as the ones coming down the pipeline 
coalescing to uh, change any of the trajectory of this problem moving forward? There are a number of technologies that are available today um, that that really are game changers. So, you know, the tools we've been talking about today are, you know, essentially sort of simple to use kind of sketching or forms type data entry things that, uh, you know, the uh, the solutions that, that we have are very simple to use. Um, but, you know, they still require a certain amount of user interaction and training and understanding. Um, but there are technologies like um, computer vision, uh, machine learning, uh, augmented reality that make things, uh, I think, an order of magnitude simpler for the user and, and enable the possibility of much more automation where in today's state of things and the things that I'm, I'm actively working on now uh, with the team here. Um, they require some minimal user interaction at, at some point, and we'll get onto that. I, I see it potentially being fully automated where a camera is just recording what you're doing and recognizing all of that. Um, but I'll just give a couple of examples from other industries of things that are applicable, because I think one of the interesting things here is a lot of these technologies are being driven outside the telecom industry and outside the geospatial industry. So, you know, one big area is self-driving cars. Uh, you know, if you look at what Tesla's doing, if you Google Tesla Autopilot and watch their video, you know, they have cameras that uh, are in their cars that have a lot of self-driving technology. And you can see that those cameras are recognizing in real time, multiple times a second, stop signs, uh, uh, street lights, traffic lights, people, cars. So, you know, they are recognizing geospatial features in real time, which is exactly the sort of thing we want to do in our industry of saying, you know, there's a pole here, there's a cabinet here and so on. Uh, so that's one area that's driving a lot of relevant investment. Uh, gaming is another one. So Niantic is a company I'm really watching. It's led by John Hankey, who was the guy behind Google Earth and Google Maps, or one of the, the key guys. Um, and, and they're the company that created Pokemon Go. And in many ways, that's a Trojan horse for creating an incredibly detailed map of the world. So they have, you know, uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of users who are all capturing geospatial data. They think they're playing a game, but, you know, it's incredible what you can do with that. If you know this area down here isn't mapped, you just have to send an alert out saying there's a rare Pokemon here and all the local kids will run out and map it for you. So, you know, there are these interesting dimensions that you might not think about, uh, and that is going to change mapping. I mean, it's quite possible that very soon Niantic will have the best map of the world, better than Google or anybody else. Um, and, and then a third area is sort of thinking about augmented reality and so on um, is things like home design, like IKEA has a really nice augmented reality uh, tool where you can just place things in your home environment, switch them out. There's a lot of parallels there with design and telecom, but but they're also recognizing what's around that. So so anyway, the, the, these sort of broad sets of technologies uh, can all be applied uh, to the problem of as-built capture in, in telecom. Uh, and specifically what I've been working on is, is taking those and, and building a tool where, in effect, the idea is you can just point your camera at something and uh, it recognizes this is a cabinet, it reads the serial number, it reads the nameplate, uh, and so where in the past you would have had to enter a form and type something in, now you just point your camera at it, uh, it reads all of that stuff in, locates it, and you click OK. Um, and so it, you know, it really is sort of potentially whatever, 10 times faster or, or more than, than previous mechanisms. And so, you know, I, I do think that's going to be a game changer in the sense that it is 
just so simple and so automated that it, you'd be crazy not to give it to your construction people, you know. Um, so so that's a bit of an outline of some of the key things there. Tom, I don't know if you, you want to chip in any thoughts or, or comments on that. No, just one, I guess, kind of outlier um, from the data side is that we don't really talk much about, and that is um, integrating systems with um, auto discovery. Um, and that's where what, what Peter's saying is what you'll see in the outside plant. You can see cabinets, you can see poles, you can, you can see, you can, you can see a lot of equipment out there, but what, what you sometimes often can't see is what's inside uh, a piece of equipment. And that's where we have intelligent features today that are being developed by the, 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 uh, hardware manufacturers of the world. And we often don't speak to that. And many of our provisioning tools do. And I think that's where integration points with provisioning tools and auto discovery in which if, if, if we can equally get the data back in where we're used to providing data to, to, to activation and provisioning, we can also receive data from them to, to confirm that, hey, what we think we have drawn and designed and built is actually being auto-discovered properly and being designed and built and, had, and it is what is being as built it. Um, so just, just another layer on top of ways we can improve data quality without actually having to go out there and manually do it. Um, and, and we, we do see some of our carriers starting to, to go that way today. It's been talked about for years, but it is a very, um, one more layer of, of data integrity and accuracy that can be done without actually having to involve a, a human being. Um, again, it's just smart use of our tools. Yeah, and maybe I'll just mention one more technology that I kind of mentioned in passing, but which uh, is machine learning, which is incredibly powerful. And, you know, you're seeing it in more and more areas now. Uh, and a, a major area where we, we're using it is in this sort of computer vision recognition of what you're looking at with your phone. But a very powerful aspect of that is you you sort of collect data sets to feed into the machine learning models. And over time, as you have more data, they improve. So uh, that's something that we're excited about that we're starting uh, now to do some proof of concepts with customers on this new technology. But as we get uh, more people using the system, that will feed more data in and it lets us train these machine learning models. And so the system will become more intelligent over time and able to recognize things more and more automatically. And as I kind of alluded to where I see the end game on this is, you know, today we have a smartphone app um, where you, you know, you occasionally tap to confirm something, but you're not having to interact too much. But where it will end up, I think, is either with, uh, say, a helmet-mounted camera, you know, it, it might be a helmet-mounted phone or it might be something like a GoPro with processing in it, or it could be smart glasses, which you hear a lot of talk about at, at some point. Um, but that that will just basically watch the work that you're doing and it will recognize, hey, you just took this piece of equipment off the truck and put it there. You don't have to do anything. Uh, this system is just watching and feeding data back. And, you know, and that sounds quite sci-fi, but in many ways, all of the key elements of being able to do that uh, are there today or we can see them coming in the next couple of years. So that, that really will be transformational, um, That you know, this concept that you can record the work that's happening without the without the field work having to do anything uh, to do that. And if these solutions are, uh, you know, put into place thoughtfully and uh, executed with their full impact in mind, how do you imagine telecoms may benefit from these new strategies to improving geospatial data? And then, you know, subsequently having that improved data, 
what do you see as some of the material benefits there, the ROI? I, you know, I, I think it goes back to some of the examples we talked about before, you know, this idea of a digital twin and digital transformation, that, that just having the underlying accurate physical model is fundamental to so many of those things in terms of improving network reliability, improving customer service, improving sales. So it, you know, really impacts a lot of the key high-level metrics very fundamentally. Um, so, you know, the areas we're talking about when we talked about the challenges, really uh, this is what enables uh, you to address all of those things. Um, if you know you have this very, very accurate near real-time digital twin of your system. And last question I've got for y'all is, right, a lot of these changes do require at least some level of material investment of resources. So how should they strategize around the various options and the various paths to success here? Well, I mean, it starts with training and, and it, it may lead quickly to what we call business process reengineering. Um, and, and I say that because if, if you get the training right and you can trust the edge, you can do without a lot of layers of bureaucracy that has have historically existed that slow it down. Um, and, and I would encourage anyone today uh, using 3GS mobile or any other mobile products out there is to, is to, is to train your workforce to use the tool um, and then train your, your GIS department or your facility management department to trust the tool, to trust the data that comes in and, and incorporate it immediately. Don't stack it up for review. Um, post it, let it, let it post directly into your, to your geo database or let it, let it post into even a holding place where it can, it can be vetted with, with, with software, not with what, not with human eyes. And again, you can look for outliers and things that don't belong. You could kick those out, but everything else that, that, that meets the rules um, that are set up, send it right in. And, and to be honest, the, the return on investment there can be very fast. Um, and it, it should be very large um, because most people today, uh, and, and, and I think anybody listening to this podcast will, can probably retrospectively look and say, oh, yeah, that's probably how we do it, is um, it goes through, it, it goes through an, an extra layer or multiple layers of, of a posting review and posting process. I mean, there's an industry, Daniel, built on work order posting um, and and. You could I'll make a lot of enemies real quick, but you could you could do without that entire industry um, and and let the let the data do the talking. Yeah. And I guess I, I would say, you know, certainly, uh, again, re reinforce what Tom's saying is that, you know, whether you're a 3GIS customer or, or, or not, you know, really look at are you leveraging today's mobile tools as well as you can. And, and most people aren't, you know, making this commitment to capture more data using existing mobile tools in the field um, uh, with what's there today. And then, you know, I, I would also add with, with a little bit of self-interest on, on the work that I'm currently leading. Uh, like I said, we're at the stage now where we're looking to engage customers in proof of concept projects. Uh, you know, the work we've got is at that stage now. Uh, and as I talked about, I really feel that this is a game changer. You know, I've said this a couple of times, but I feel it's by far the biggest change, you know, not just specifically what we're doing, but in, in general, these new technologies coming in is by far the biggest change we've ever seen in the geospatial industry, uh, I think. So uh, I feel it's a very exciting thing. And so if you'd like to be a, a part of that, we'd love to talk to you about, you know, engaging with you, understanding your requirements and uh, seeing if you'd be interested in 
doing proof of concepts on these new technologies we're talking about. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really encouraged by what Peter and his team are doing because I feel like Field Express Chameleon was a whoops, 3GS Mobile was yeah, that's pretty awesome, and what 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 Peter's team is doing is truly next. It's it's the it's the future, and it's going to automate it with augmented reality. It's it's I, th- I think it's I think it's going to be the next great thing that comes out of this organization. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tom. I hope so too. And I think on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap up the conversation for the day. So thank you again to the two of you for your perspectives here on uh, why geospatial data is plateauing or really has been for, you know, 30 years plus now for the telecom industry and how this is creating some tangible issues, how folks like yourselves are reassessing the dynamic and developing some strategies for capturing, analyzing, and putting to use said data with higher quality and higher efficacy. So thanks again to the two of you. We've been chatting with Tom Counts, Executive Vice President at 3GIS, and Peter Batty, Chief Research Officer at SSP Innovations. Uh, Tom, if folks want to find out more about some of 3GIS's work in this space, how can they get in touch? Go to the website, www.3-gis.com. Easy enough. Give us a call. And Peter, same question to you. Yeah, and I think same answer, really. Um, you know, 3GIS is part of uh, SSP now. So I'd say, you know, just go via the three, your contacts at 3GIS and they can put you in touch with, with me and would love to share what uh, we're doing. Perfect. Love it. All right, team. Thank you again for your time. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Hopefully uh, this, this plateau starts to, uh, you know, develop a bit of some steepness to it and we start to see some improvement. I'm looking forward to seeing how both of y'all's technologies and solutions play a part. We'll chat again soon. Excellent. Yep. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a good day. And thank you everyone for listening in to another episode of Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast. If you like what you heard and uh, want some previous episodes, you want to make sure you don't miss out on future conversations with the 3GIS team, make sure that you're headed to our website 3-GIS.com as well as subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Fiberside Chat.